We're working through John's gospel. This is part nine. Today, the beginning of the signs. The best has come in Jesus Christ. You'll know this account. It's John chapter two that we start with today. Eleven verses. John 2, 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to look at this, Jesus said to her, woman, What does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother, John says, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. That's important to just bear in mind for a minute. Each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So don't think of a little pitcher. 30 gallons. Can you imagine trying to move those things when they're full? What does... 30 gallons of water in a heavy stone pitcher way. Twenty or thirty gallons, and Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars of water, and they filled them up to the brim. They'd have to do that anyway eventually with the purification. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted The water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, because by then they probably can't tell the difference. But you have kept the good wine until now. John writes, this, the first of his signs, not miracles, The first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So the significance of this miracle is stated by the Apostle John. It's in that 11th verse. We just read it. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. Signs. The first of his signs. There are eight in John's gospel that get this designation. It means what Jesus did here is part of an unfolding revelation, part of a story. It doesn't reveal everything, but it, but it starts placing Jesus before our eyes. This is a point where Jesus begins. That's John's word. Jesus begins to manifest himself in more open ways. Something else. The word sign, it means more than miracle or even wonder. It means that the event described is about more than just the event. That's what a sign is. And it's important when we start dealing with the details of the turning water into wine. That word sign means the event isn't really about water and it isn't really about wine. It means Jesus is using those elements as a sign, 
pointing to something else. They tell us something about Jesus and his great mission here on earth, and we're going to come back to that in just a minute. And then there's that troubling element in the text. I just kind of highlighted it with my voice. We're kind of brought face to face with these, even if we don't want to admit it, it's a little discomforting to hear the tone in Jesus' remarks to his mom. 24, woman, what does this have to do with me? All she said was, they're out of wine. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I mean, the words feel a little out of proportion to her simple comments about the wine running out, and we're going to have to come to terms with that issue as well. So if you're ready, point number one. Where does Mary get her expectation that Jesus can actually help with the request. Remember, this is the first sign Jesus has performed. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, the him is Jesus, they have no wine. I mean, we keep wishing for more details than John gives us. All we know is Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to him. There is a master of the feast, verse 8, he's mentioned. She doesn't go to him. She doesn't go to the bridegroom, verse 9, he's there too. So, so clearly, Mary feels Jesus is the one who needs to know about this situation, even though this text clearly indicates in verse 2 that Jesus is just an invited guest. He just came to the wedding because he was invited. What, being that this is the first sign, no miracles before this, what makes Mary explain this situation to Jesus? If Jesus had done no miracles before this one, what made Mary think he could help? There were other people that it was certainly more logical to go to. So what was she expecting from Jesus? And where did that expectation come from? And I think John doesn't say but if you just probe it a bit, I think the only explanation plausible is Mary, certainly more than anyone else up to this point, Mary knew something about the supernatural Jesus from the evidence in her own physical body at the supernatural nature of the conception of Jesus in her body. She knows that. That would be hard to forget. She would also have memory of an account that she had with an old priest named Simeon. She would have that still in her memory banks. It's the first sign. Here's the account with Simeon. 
Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. Waiting, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him, Simeon, takes Jesus up in his arms, blessed God and said, Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's a baby. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, said to Mary, his mother, Mary's, now, back to the first sign. Mary's thinking about this still. Simeon says to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising. Note the order. That's interesting. The fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, right from the bat. It's going to be opposition. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So, what makes Mary go to Jesus, even though this is the first miracle Jesus performs? Well, she knows this much. She remembers the Spirit of God moving on her own body in the miraculous conception of Jesus. She remembers Simeon clearly identifying Jesus as the Christ. I read that. God's promised Messiah. She knew from Simeon's word that her son's mission was to reach the whole world Gentile and Jew, Simeon told her that. Now she's at a wedding on the Winus right now. She comes to Jesus in hope. Now, there's a life lesson here for us. This isn't just story. The life lesson here is to store up the truth of God's word in your heart. Some of it will be applied immediately to your life situation. All of it will be needed eventually in situations you haven't faced yet. So cherish the word. Meditate on it. Don't, don't squeeze it out. Don't squeeze it out with Netflix and podcasts and video games and movies. You will need this. Some of the things you learn from God's word, you will use immediately. And you'll think, wow, what a moment. That was great. God spoke to me and showed me, and it just met my situation. But not all of it. Some of it you will read, and you won't see the relevance of it to your life now, but it will be relevant to your life come next Friday or September. Store up God's word in your heart so Mary, what makes her go to Jesus now is things that happened quite a while ago. But she didn't forget them. 
I'm just so convinced it's impossible to follow Jesus seriously in this lightweight social media world unless you develop the habit of reading your word, God's word, reading good Christian books that will deepen your grasp of the word. You'll never effectively follow Jesus just because you think you should or you would like to. You have to do something to keep faith alive in your heart. That's what you see happening in this account. Point number two. We have to come to it eventually. When Mary asked Jesus for help, he seems to give her a pretty cold response. It's hard to deny, isn't it? If this is God's word and it's really accurate in everything it says, and I believe it is, this is a problem. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? And then, my hour has not yet come. Really? Woman. Not even mother? <laughs> what does this have to do with me? What kind of response is that to Mary's question? And, and, and the answer to the first part of verse 4 comes from the last part of verse 4. Jesus says to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? And then I'd underline, my hour has not yet come. And those words, they speak to a sense of calling, a sense of mission, some kind of timing in Jesus' life. Look at 2.11. This, the first of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory and his disciples, they've been following, but they, they believe in him. And so right at the beginning of everything else Jesus will do while on earth, it's vitally important that everyone understand he isn't here. He isn't here like some political candidate. He isn't here like a religious campaigner doing his own thing. Remember, right at the beginning of his mission, he's identified the Lamb of God... Make no mistake, Mary, your offspring is God's eternal son, the sacrificial lamb. And, and here's, where, here's where I'm going with all of this. Quite naturally, the people who would have the hardest time appreciating the abnormality of the calling of Christ would be those who most naturally had the right to assume ownership and control of Jesus' life, his earthly parents and family were most likely to be confused on this issue. So it's precisely because Mary is Jesus' mother, that he must, for the salvation of mankind, openly display his understanding of the primary authority, the primary mission of his earthly glory and works. This first sign of who he is and what he can do isn't tied to anyone but the Father in heaven. And, and it's 
ultimately the most loving and beneficial thing for Mary if in the long run Jesus makes that clear. Let me, let me, if you find it hard to follow that, let me give you another example of it in the New Testament. You'll see the same thing, particularly with his parents. It's in Luke 48 to 51. And when his parents saw him, okay, they leave him behind. They left him in the temple. Off they go. Jesus is, where, where's Jesus? Well, they got to go back and get him, okay? And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, his mother said, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus does the same thing here as he does with mother in our account. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And then 50 and 51 say, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. It's the same thing. The parents come. We have the right to be concerned about you. You're our son. Where have you been? And Jesus, at that age, says, you don't understand. You don't understand why I'm here. I'm here not to do your business. I'm here to do, when he says the father, he doesn't mean Joseph. He has to explain to them again, no, I know I'm your son, but I have to be about the father's business. The same with this sign that he's going to perform. People will believe in him, and he says, woman, it's not just that a mother and son thing here. Three, it's a beautiful thing that Mary can take what must have sounded like a bit of a rebuke from Jesus and still continue to obey Jesus. And his mother said to the servants, this is right after woman. Mother says to the servants, just do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. True, the timing of the sign is sovereignly the Father's, but Mary can trust even if she has to learn to wait. Mary had to have a moment of humble learning, true enough, to submit to the Father's Son as the Messiah. But having learned that humility and patience, she commands the same kind of submissive obedience from those around her. So she's not miffed. She's not self-justifying in any way. It's what you do. Here's a big chunk of your Christian life. Here's a big chunk of your future in your walk with Jesus right here. It's what you do when you're confused, and it's what you do when you're upset. You know, we sang it. He never failed. We sang it, you know, 43 times. But here's the thing. What, what do you do for faith and trust when it looks like you failed? we got people sitting in this church, I could point them out to you, who are dying of cancer, 
and have been prayed for for years. It's quite a thing then to keep trusting. He's good. He's got a plan, and he's got an eternity for me. And so Mary's not miffed. She's not angry. Just do whatever he tells you. So don't miss, don't miss the beautiful, quick turnaround from this to that. Just do what he tells you. Four, the meaning of the sign, the best has come in Jesus. Two, six to ten. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill up the jars of water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, although the servants who had drawn it out knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Moving quickly, take note of the instruction, verse 7. Fill the jars with water, and they filled them. So there was no shortage of water, and we're immediately clued into what John means, that this is a miracle of replacement, not creation, okay? Why? The water parts were empty. Jesus could have just said, let there be wine, and they could have been filled with wine, but he specifically requests that the empty jars be filled with water to the brim first, and then the water is transformed, replaced. You find the word. The water is transformed into wine. Why does it matter? Well, I think it explains. Remember, John says this is a sign. It's not just a miracle. I think it explains what this sign is about. It's what makes the sign so important. There's a meaning to it. And the meaning, I think, is found in the fact that John stresses the detail that these huge containers were the six stone water jars, verse 6, the six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. And the reason John also records the detail of the huge amount of water, 30 gallons each, times 6, 180 gallons, is we're immediately reminded that these Jews performed a lot of ceremonial washings and cleansing. Now we're going to get close to what this is all about. There's a lot of repeated ceremonial cleansing and washing going on, and yet the people were still trapped in their own sin, their own unchanged hearts. They were still unclean. After all 180 gallons of water and scrubbing, their hearts weren't touched. Now, we have something totally different. The water hasn't been effective in cleansing the heart. This is the meaning, this is the meaning of the very first sign revealing Jesus' glory as God the Son. 
something better than all of that purifying water from the old covenant. Something better than all those old covenant washings has finally come in Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. Do you see it? Truly, truly, the best has come last. In other words, this sign unfolds in visible detail the point the Apostle John was making in his introduction to all the events of this account. Knowing John would open his record with the very the account of this first sign of Jesus' glory, John prepared us for understanding it in 117. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth and the blood of the Lamb have replaced the ineffective water from the law. They make clean what all those ceremonial washings never could. And this idea of the saving power of the kingdom being likened to wine, it was actually reinforced. Jesus uses the same image himself again later on in his ministry where he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from the new, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine. He's not talking about wine here. He's talking about his kingdom, kingdom life. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed, so are the skins. New wine is for fresh wineskins. It's the same idea being unpacked. The old and the new don't mix. Those old water jars for ceremonial cleansing aren't changing anybody. The water isn't blended with the wine. The water is replaced by the wine. The law came first, to be sure. There was water in those huge purification jars, but the wine replaces it. What a perfect depiction. You have kept the good wine until now. I wonder if John knew what he was writing. What a perfect description of the situation that has now happily come with the arrival of Jesus Christ. To receive him is to receive the best. To know him is to know the best. All the water in the world wasn't going to change those people. What isn't working? What isn't working in changing your life right now? What isn't working? Resolutions, plans, willpower, moral reform. That's what this text is all about. Are you still chained to the same old sins? Do you still carry around the same regrets of things in the past that you wish you could erase, but they can't be erased because they're done? Are you hoping a religious routine is going to fix it? Hope, transformation have come 
in Jesus, he answers to the deepest search for cleansing, longing, and joy for your inner life. God, God has saved the best to last. And it's come in Jesus Christ. You may be the richest and the smartest person in this room. You will be lost and empty until you come to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.